Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of the Africast. Joining me as always, my name is Brendan Lott, sorry. And joining me as <laughs> always is Clinton Matos. How are they going to know who you are? Hello everybody. <laughs> and Robin Lichetti. Howdy. I mean, it's not like there's any, like we have different uh, people appearing every week, although we could soon. Remember, Hypertext is looking for a technology journalist. Uh, we'll have a link to that at the bottom of this post so that if you are interested in joining our team and appearing on this podcast... Uh, you can do so. Um, right, so we've got a very diverse podcast, I think, this week. Um, so let's jump into a review that I did this week. Uh, the all-new Asus ROG Strix Scar 17 Special Edition G77 or 733C. Uh, it's a mouthful, but for good reason. Uh, this notebook is a gaming notebook. It doesn't have a webcam, oddly. Um and in a time of remote work and Zoom calls, it, it was really not it really stood out that there wasn't a webcam on this notebook. But it does also make sense because generally webcams and notebooks aren't very good. And if you're going to use this for gaming, which it is intended for, as we'll get into, you don't really need a webcam. Uh, in terms of the specs, this thing has an Intel 12th Gen Core i9-12950HX, an NVIDIA RTX 3080 Ti laptop GPU, and 32 gigabytes of DDR5 at 4800. Um, the crux of this is that this thing is disgustingly powerful. Uh, we ran Cinebench R23 and we achieved a score of 15,286, which was the fourth highest score on the benchmark, only trailing behind desktop systems with like a Xeon or Threadripper. Uh, so this thing, it's pretty crazy. Uh, in terms of single core performance, uh, we scored 1714 points in Cinebench R23. Um, so if you make use of a lot of applications that can only make use of a single core, I don't actually know if there are many of those applications still running around. I'm sure like some professional apps still do still make use of that, but like for gaming and stuff, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, like old old games of like GOG. Yeah, yeah, like old game, like older stuff. I'm sure, but like new things, I don't know. I, I, while I was writing this, I kind of tried to go and do a deep dive, and then I went down a rabbit hole and figured that wasn't worth it. Um, so, how does this thing work with gaming, though? In a word, amazingly, uh, we ran God of War on PC at the highest graphic setting at a QHD resolution, and we managed to eke out eighty-five to ninety. Uh, frames per second depending on what was happening in the scene um, this did dip slightly to 75 to 78 fps uh, in in-game cutscenes uh, in 3d marks times by benchmark we scored 11,134 points with frame rates sitting in the region of 68 to 79 depending on what was rendering once again uh, in terms of temperatures this thing does really well uh, the cpu never got higher than 94 degrees and the gpu never went higher than 87 degrees that having been said we were testing in the middle of winter and it was a cold day uh, so your uh, your your mileage may vary um in terms of battery life this was probably the thing that i was most impressed about because the components in here are really power hungry um but when you switch to battery power uh, and decide that you're going to watch dune uh on google movies and stream that set the sound to 75 percent you'll get seven hours and 50 minutes of life which i think is really impressive however uh if you decide to play games on this you'll maybe get like one hour of playtime out of the notebook um and then your graphics or your frame rate is locked to 35 fps uh, and it's not the best experience but i mean if you're trying to finish up a game or finish a level when load shedding hits uh it will get you to that point. 
One other thing I just want to highlight is that the sound in this notebook is amazing. It's so, so good. There's four, there's a four speaker array. Um, bass is deep. Treble is crisp and clear. The, I, don't, I didn't feel like I was missing something on the audio spectrum. It's, it's just a really good speaker system for a notebook. And that's saying something. I had to check multiple times whether, uh, my, whether I was plugged into my my sound system on my desktop uh, just because the audio was so good. Uh, the sticking point here is that this notebook costs 75,999 Rand. And I know that's a lot of money. I get it. It is a, That is an unseen amount of money. But I do think this notebook is worth it. Um, that having been said, I don't think that it's a notebook that everybody is going to find accessible and it makes it it makes it very difficult to outright recommend this however if you have eighty thousand rand to spend and you're looking for a notebook that doesn't pull any punches um the asus 2022 strict scar 17 se is is a really really good addition um we gave it a nine out of ten the at last points because of the price um but yeah this is a really really great great solution or a great notebook sorry um but like I said, the price is, is a bit obscene. Um, that having been said, I mean, components are obscenely priced at this point yeah. in time. So, yeah, you kind of got to take it on the chin. Um, maybe in a year's time, though, this notebook comes down substantially in price, uh, especially with NVIDIA rumored to be announcing its 40 series pretty soon. Um, so, yeah, keep an eye out on this. If you can find it for like 50K, um, I think this would be a really, really good buy. Um, but yeah, that's the Asus ROG Strix Scar 17 Special Edition, the 2022 model. Um, you can read our full review at the bottom. Clinton, you've yes. got some news about Lightyear and Disney Plus, which is really yeah. interesting. So Lightyear has been announced to be coming to Disney Plus. And while that's interesting, and I'm actually looking forward to it because I haven't seen it yet, what is maybe more interesting is the date and the fact that we basically have confirmation of how long Disney wants its movies to stay in theaters. So uh, Lightyear will be on Disney Plus in all countries that Disney Plus is available in. As far as I know, it will come to South Africa on that date on 3rd August. Now, what's interesting here is that the movie launched in cinemas on 17th June, which means that it will only be in theaters for 47 days before it becomes available for streaming. And that's not a number plucked out of thin air, although, it, you know, in isolation it is, because Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness was also in theaters for only 47 days. So now we kind of have this pattern going, and we will kind of get um, confirmation of this being true or not when Thor Love and Thunder comes to Disney+. Plus. Now, we don't know when Thor Love and Thunder should be coming out, but it launched on 6th of July, um in theaters and we have a review on that you can check out and if the 47 day trend continues it'll be available on 27 august uh, sorry 22nd august i just misspoke there so i i think this is going to happen i think two weeks before the 22nd of august i'm going to get a press release saying hey this is coming to disney plus you should check it out and it's just really interesting because i don't know what theater owners think about this that now Oh, we can only count of a, a movie being in theaters for such a short time. Now, that being said, um, uh, when a Multiverse of Madness launched on Disney Plus, it was still in theaters. Uh -huh. And if I check now, I think it is still in theaters as also. Well. It's not that it's coming to Disney Plus and it's leaving the theaters. It's going to be available in both at the same time. 
So just keep that in mind. So I really don't know what you know locally Stuart Kinnacore and uh, New Metro think about this. And overseas, you know, what are these movie theaters thinking? Disney Plus owns or Disney owns most of the movies that are coming out. And now they're saying, yeah, we'll put them in theaters exclusively, but we're only going to do that for, you know, a month and a half at most. It's it's interesting for us who have, you know, uh, we don't own movie theaters, <laughs> unless you guys <laughs> surprise me with uh, amazing fortunes that allow you to own a theater. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I don't know what this is going to do to theaters, especially because, um, I don't know if it's changed recently, but like Stuart Kinnacle was in business rescue because of the pandemic. And now, as we, the pandemic's still around, obviously, and there's new variants that are popping up now. But I think a lot of people erroneously think that the pandemic's just over, right? But I think a lot of people are now returning to the theater. But now, what incentive do people have to see these movies brand new in the theater if you only need to wait a month and a half to see them at home? It's, it's going to make going to the movies an even harder sell. Movies are already very expensive especially if you're taking kids or you're paying for your uh, significant other or even just paying for yourself it's expensive and then there's still the pandemic going on and then if you already subscribe to disney plus say you bought that one year subscription when it was being offered at a discount if you bought that and you want to even if you're a big like marvel fan or you're a big pixar animation fan even if you're a big fan of those, you, you're probably in the target market to have already bought a year of Disney+. Plus. So if you're seeing a movie coming out, you have to think in the back of your mind, I really want to see this movie, but if I just wait a month and a half, I can see it essentially for free, and I don't need to leave my home. So, so again, this is, go ahead, Brendan. Yeah, I just want to jump in here. So <clears throat> the weekend before uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness uh, arrived on Disney+, Plus. I was sitting at home and I was thinking, man, I really actually want to see this movie. Uh, maybe I should go into a theater. The only thing that put me off was the fact that it was cold, right? I don't know that's yeah. really silly, but it was that was the only thing that was literally keeping me from going to the cinema to, to go and watch that movie. Had I gone and watched it and then that Monday discovered that Multiverse of Madness was coming to Disney+, Plus, that would have put me off going to movies ever again completely. Like, I already don't like going to the cinema because it's just not an experience I enjoy. Yeah. But if I had gone and spent money on something and then it had come out on a service that I already subscribed to, literally the day after I watched it, um, that would have just made me not want to go into cinemas anymore. Yeah, I know, my, just, I know that's just my experience, but like you're asking the question, just from somebody who doesn't go to the cinema and already finds it tedious to go to the cinema, like, I, I think that this is really silly on Disney's part. Well, I mean, we're not sure right now if this is like in the experimental phase, right? Maybe because I remember when uh, Black Widow came out on streaming, mm. it was an extra purchase. And I I think that, and then they also did Mulan, if I'm not mistaken, um, that was an extra purchase. So maybe all of this is just them experimenting. Uh, maybe I'm saying, oh, it's going to happen two times and then three times and then it's always going to be like that. That's speculation on my part. So maybe they're just experimenting with how this goes. Maybe after this battle movies, they quietly retire this and then they do two months or three months or whatever, right? Yeah. Or maybe they go back to, it comes out on like, um, you can only buy it like on like on Google and stuff like that. And then 
it will go to like physical media and then it will come to Disney Plus. Maybe they're just experimenting again. The pandemic and the rise of all these streaming services has completely changed how streaming works. Yeah. So maybe all of this is just experimentation, but I'm almost certain that near the 22nd of August, we're going to get an email saying Thor Love and Thunder is available for streaming. So yeah, that's on the surface, it's just a story that Lightyear is coming to, uh, to streaming uh, very soon. But if you look at things like kind of holistically on a, a broader view, it may be a sign of things to come that Disney movies are only in theaters for scant 47 days. Also, just uh, as an aside, uh, the, I believe the um, Deadpool 1, Deadpool 2, Deadpool 2 and Logan arrive on Disney Plus today. If you look nice. at some ultra violence this weekend. Yeah, a few weeks ago they added most of the um, Spider-Man movies, even yeah. the old Sam Raimi movies. The new, some of the new Sony movies and both Venoms, which was surprising. Yeah. So, yeah, Disney Plus. Everything's on there, man. <laughs> I've been watching Always Sunny. Like, you wouldn't think Disney Plus has Always Sunny in Philadelphia, but they do. They own FX, who makes Always Sunny. So, yeah, Disney owns everything. We're not sure how this is going to pan out for consumers and moviegoers in the future. Right. Moving on to some hardware news. Uh, Robin, Samsung has. Well, it was leaked that Samsung is releasing some new phones next month. Yeah, that's right. So we covered the, I guess, leaked information. It came via Evan Blass, who is a serial leaker, um, for lack of a better term. And it was regarding some new foldables that uh, Samsung are ready, ready to reveal to the world. Um, the event uh, is scheduled for 10th August. It's happening locally. There's going to be, I think, a live streamed event uh, at uh, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. South Africa, if you want to tune into the actual announcement. And yeah, it looks like, uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, Samsung are going uh, full steam ahead with their kind of foldable plan. Mm. Um, as far as the devices that are going to be shown off, we don't know precisely what's going to be uh, be showcased on the day. Uh, but the I guess the teaser image that, that accompanied the announcement uh, was that of a what looked to be a flip a Galaxy Z Flip of some kind. So we're assuming it's the next iteration, which would make it the Galaxy Z Flip 4. Uh, we also are led to believe that the Galaxy Z Fold 4, which is the next iteration of the foldable, other foldable that Samsung make, that's going to be uh, launched as well, as well as a Galaxy Watch wearable. So um, it's not just going to be the foldables. There's going to be a wearable involved as well. I wouldn't be surprised if we hear something around uh, the Galaxy Buds as uh, being announced so it looks yeah. like a whole bunch of devices will be will be showcased and yeah it looks like uh, again samsung are going full steam ahead with this whole foldable push and it seems like they're really the only manufacturer that is doing so i mean uh, there are a few outliers uh huawei for example have a few foldables yeah. in their lineup um but they have like, other issues that they're trying to grapple with <laughs> But uh, Samsung seem like the only one that are really kind of pushing ahead, and it's a little bit unsurprising uh, given the fact that they still lead the market uh, amongst all the vendors. Yeah. Um, they have the technology that, as far as um, OLED foldable displays goes, they recently also uh, purchased a foldable display startup, Sinora. Um, so it looks like they're going to be kind of branching out perhaps into other devices as well. Hopefully, we'll, we'll start to see it. In their notebook lineup, um, I think Lenovo are really the only one that have that have kind of ventured out to that kind of unknown space when it comes to foldable notebooks. And yeah, um, some more hardware on the way. I think probably the bigger question is: Do people still have appetite for a 
really expensive foldable phone considering what's going on in the world and i mean if we look at south africa in particular yeah. the cost of living is insanely exorbitant at the moment so to Do kind of be you... dropping money on a on a foldable is yeah <laughs> it's up for debate yeah. Do you think that their ultimate goal is to make mid-range and maybe even budget phones that also fold? No. Well, I think if, if so, it has to be way, way down the line. I think mm. the cost is is too, just too exorbitant yeah. I, for it to kind of percolate down. I mean, because I think about stuff like um, in-screen cameras and like in-screen fingerprint sensors. When those came out, they were only on the really expensive stuff. And I know that those that tech isn't as impressive as foldable displays. But I just think that a lot of stuff we thought was only ever going to be an expensive stuff did eventually become cheaper. And I think you can get pinhole cameras and underscreen fingerprint sensors in a lot of, not very cheap, but a lot of mid-range phones. So I, yeah, I, I have no idea what Samsung's ultimate goal is. Maybe they just like doing this tech as like advertising. I think a lot of times we talk about um, these companies investing in stuff and they, they are doing it purely to grab headlines. Um, and maybe not even to sell stuff. So I always think about it like that. But I, I'm hoping that eventually it will come to cheaper stuff because, Robin, you said, do people have an appetite for folding phones? I have no interest in them at all, except as a curiosity. Like like you admire the engineering on like a Ferrari. You have no intention of ever buying a Ferrari. But, it, you know, it's interesting that humans can build stuff like that, right? Yeah. But again, so, hopefully they bring that to cheaper stuff. Go ahead, Brendan. So just on the appetite, uh, this week, um, Samsung's mobile or head of Samsung's mobile communication business, TMRO, um, spoke in a press release uh, highlighting that Samsung had sold 10 million foldable phones in the last year, um, which is a pretty impressive number, uh, except when you look at the bigger picture. So according to data from the IDC, um, Samsung shipped... 272 million units uh, of smartphones in 2021, uh, giving it the lion's share of the market. Uh, it has 20.1% of the market. Apple's just behind it. Um, so taking that 10 million figure into account, foldables account for just 3.6% of Samsung's smartphone shipments in 2021. Um, and this is a really low percentage. However, something I do just want to point out is that uh, these are incredibly premium devices. Uh, that having been said, I don't know what the margins on these phones are um, because Samsung's not going to tell us. Um, so I would be curious to see how much, whether these uh, phones represent a large margin of profit for Samsung, although I really doubt it considering the engineering that has to go into them. Um, that having been said, Samsung's kind of got like a, a flow going now, I'm sure, within its manufacturing process. Um, and it doesn't have to spend as much on research and development. Um, but it does just feel like a lot of investment for 3.6% market share um, within your own market of smartphones. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I just feel like they are a passing fad that we will forget about in a few years' time. What do you think, Rowan? Yeah, I think they probably have to not be so iterative with it, so not have a a new version every single year. Um, one, there's a cost. And two, if you're going to be doing uh, more models on the line, there needs to be more tangible features and evolution of technology. Uh, again, we haven't seen the new devices that they're planning to launch next month. But to my mind, at least, you're not going to see a lot of difference between 
the the Z flip four and, and Z flip uh, Z fold four compared to last year's uh, yeah. iterations. So if you are going to kind of focus on foldables, then either one kind of perhaps throw something weird out there like this is now the fourth generation of these devices. Uh, I know it's a relatively short amount of time, but perhaps we need something different. Yeah. Uh, I've never always spoken about the fact that we like devices that perhaps get more compact than it, as opposed to just expanding in terms of the screen real estate. So I think if you're kind of already dominating the market, you have that kind of room to play around and kind of do weird and wonderful things. I mean, that's the reason why a lot of us used to really like HTC because they used to do kind of weird stuff. LG before it, it kind of it, it shuttered its doors. We used to do really weird stuff uh, with their G series flagships. Um, so I think Samsung can afford to kind of play around a bit uh, and perhaps then just kind of scale back as far as how quickly it releases a new device, like rather focus on more features, better technology, improving the actual display itself because the ones that we've reviewed, these foldable phones, um, the actual panel is still quite a delicate and I don't want to say flimsy, but it is, it, you, you have to be quite careful about handling it or you feel like you have to be quite careful about handling it. So there's still lots of room for improvement. I just feel like perhaps they're just rolling out too many uh, too quickly. So I'll ask you guys before we go to the main topic, what would you do if they came out and they said that all of their Galaxy phones, like their premium phones, all became flip phones and uh, sorry, not flip phones, uh, foldables. But they're not going to raise the price that much. What if they said, you know, we believe in this so much, we're just going to apply it to our whole range, and you guys won't have a choice if you want to buy our higher end phones. Unfortunately, that would be the last time I buy a Samsung phone. Um, and uh, that's not that's not to say that like I don't like those phones. I think they are an engineering marvel. I think that they perform really well for what they do. But the anxiety of using one of those phones is way too high. It is it is ridiculous holding a phone that expensive in your hand. And if it drops, like even just an act, like I can drop my S10 Plus in its case and not have to worry about it, right? But if I drop that phone, the entire second that it's falling to the ground, I, I'll probably just have a heart attack. So yeah, The worst know. second of your life. Yeah, I just I, I would stop buying Samsung phones. Well, well, what I was saying is if they made the, the Galaxy range um, all foldable, but they kept the price relatively the same. If they came out tomorrow and they said the next Galaxies are going to be the same price as last year's Galaxies, but they're foldables. I think it depends on which range you're talking about. So if it's the S series, I say fair play uh, to you. Like I'd love the, to review it. But if yeah, it's the, the A series, uh, so I, I don't see them. They can't. There's no way they could. Yeah. So the it. S, the, I mean, yeah, the S series uh, and the Note series, even though I know the Note stuff doesn't really exist anymore. If they came out and they said that, that would be, imagine they came out and they said, listen, we've worked on this a long time. We've perfected the tech and now we can make it cheap enough where all of our Galaxy S series are now foldable. That would be I, something. I would still probably direct people to the Galaxy A just in terms yeah. of bang for buck. It's just the best okay, probably fair enough. out there. Yeah, it's just like, and I re like, I seriously mean this, that those phones are anxiety inducing. Like you don't realize realize it until you have it in your hand and you realize that this the screen itself is like as thin as a sheet of paper. Like 
I know that most phones are that thin or their screens are that thin. You just can't see it because it's hidden in amongst aluminium and plastic and all that sort of stuff. I just, I wouldn't do that to myself. It, uh, uh, I get shivers just thinking about it. Right, let's move on to the the main topic of this week's AfriCast. Um, so last week, Friday, uh, via filing with the Security, Securities and Exchange Commission in the USA, uh, Sony Interactive Entertainment became the official, official owner of Bungie, who develops Destiny. Um, the value of the deal was worth $3.7 billion, which is just a hair over the $3.6 billion that was originally reported in January. Um, Bungie will join a growing number of developers at SIE. Specifically, Bungie will use its expertise on, quote, multi-platform development and live game services, end quote, for SIE games. So it's pretty plain and simple. Bungie's going to be helping Sony make live service games, which is something that everybody has been trying to do, and Bungie does the best. Um, so we're excited to see what comes from this partnership, but... This raised a question in my mind this week, and I wanted to discuss it. Uh, when are Ubisoft and EA going to be purchased? Um, as we know, uh, Activision Blizzard is in the process of being acquired by um, Microsoft, and that deal seems to be almost done. I did read that uh, some lawmakers in the EU were questioning whether the deal were, was good or bad. Um, but it seems at the moment that things are moving along and that Microsoft will become the owner of Activision Blizzard. However, there are two really big companies that have kind of remained independent up until now, and that is EA and Ubisoft. Now, there have been rumors flying around for most of the year that EA is going to is shopping around for somebody to buy it. And there are rumors that equity firms are looking to buy, uh, take over Ubisoft. Now, both of these companies are not without their controversies. I think uh, Ubisoft is probably the one that has the most uh, egregious um, controversies, uh, similar to Activision Blizzard, a culture of harassment and um not treating women and minorities fairly and other minorities fairly um and yeah there's there's kind of a, a the, there's been over the last two years we've we've seen that big companies buying these companies up so my question today is are ea and ubisoft going to be scooped up by somebody um so to give you guys a bit of background very quickly um in may this year uh, Ubisoft was reportedly in talks with Disney, Apple, Amazon, and Comcast, NBC Universal over a possible deal. Um, Ubisoft, as I mentioned, private equity firms such as Blackstone and KKR and Co. Um, have expressed interest in purchasing Ubisoft. Uh, and yeah, so do you think that these companies are going to be purchased sooner or later? Robin, let's start with you. Okay, we've lost Robin. <laughs> Clinton, we'll start with you then. Well, uh, I'm a bit pessimistic about this because I think eventually everything will be owned by like two companies and then they'll uh, they'll replace world governments. So to give you the short term answer, I think, yes, I think all of these companies will eventually either be bought by each other or eventually just merge into huge conglomerates. Um, what do they call them in Japan? Zaibatsus or whatever. So, yeah, I think it's an it's an inevitability. Um We've shown, or especially the American government who owns a lot, uh, sorry, um, the American government who oversees a lot of these big American companies, they've shown that they are completely toothless when it comes to controlling these big companies. There seems to be zero antitrust laws in place to prevent big mergers and monopolies. So 
yeah, I think it's just a matter of time between all, uh, before all these companies join or buy each other or all the other messed up stuff they do. Yeah, I think it's going to happen sooner rather than later, Brendan. It's, uh, it's an inevitability at this point. All yeah. these big companies have bought each other. Disney has paved the way to show that one company can own everything. Um, and get so, yeah, away I think with it's it as well. Happen. I mean, like, yeah. like you, as you mentioned, right? Like antitrust laws or rules just seem to kind of be ignored. I mean, like like we mentioned previously, Disney owns everything, like yeah. quite literally. Um, and yeah, it, it's just it's it's kind of crazy how much they've managed to to acquire without kind of drawing the ire of uh, antitrust laws and lawmakers. Robin, what do you think? Do you think that uh, these companies are going to be bought up, uh, these companies being EA and Ubisoft? I think they'll be bought up. Uh, it just, I don't think it'll be, I guess, the, the, the two biggest players at the moment. I don't think it'll be a Sony or Microsoft acquisition. Um, I, I say that on one hand, but on the other hand, it seems like uh, regulators are quite happy for Microsoft to be snapping up these big uh, studios or, or publishers. So... Again, I don't want I don't want this to stop being monopolies. We already have it in big tech. Uh, I prefer I guess we already have it in gaming as well, but I prefer for it not to be even further entrenched. Um, so I think someone will snap them up. It's just uh, I'm just really hoping it's not uh, those two companies uh, purely for the fact that they'll have then they'll have too much control. I think. Yeah, and then we start getting into messy discussions about platform exclusivity and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, Clinton. That's something I wanted to talk about because what is going to happen with um, Destiny 2 and what's going to happen with stuff Bungie makes going into the future now that they're owned by Sony? Sony has no... Well, Sony has shown some interest recently in putting stuff on PC especially, but going into the future, are they going to keep doing that? I think they did make a statement yeah. saying Destiny will remain multi-platform. But what about the games after Destiny? What about going into the future? A company saying something today literally means nothing for what's going to happen tomorrow. So yeah. I, I, I'm not saying I don't believe them that they're going to do it, but I'm saying that they have shown in the past that they that these companies don't really stick to their words. And I mean, the new Bethesda games are only coming out on um, PC and Xbox, right? Yeah. And they said stuff was going to be multi-platform, yeah. and now it's not. So these companies saying stuff doesn't mean anything to me. So what do you think is going to happen with Destiny, Brendan? Because I know you, you're the Destiny, the biggest Destiny fan. Yeah, I know you also play Robin, but I think Brendan plays a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> so I do think that uh, Destiny 2 will continue to remain multi-platform. I have no doubt about that, purely because of the fact that um, it is Bungie's biggest moneymaker. And if Sony were to decide, no, you're not allowed to be on Xbox anymore, that's a huge chunk of market share that just disappears. Yeah. Um, and I mean, like, I know that Destiny is a game that you can purchase once off, but there are microtransactions. It's a live service game. So I don't think that Destiny will become platform exclusive. However, I, as you mentioned, the future of games is something that Bungie has been really coy about. Um, they There was talk of, the, well, there is talk of another IP called Matter. Um, we don't know anything about it. It's been in development for the past couple of years, literally teased. We have a splash screen. That's it. Um, and if I were Sony and I was looking to get people to go onto my platform exclusively, 
uh, I would use a live service game from Bungie because they just seem to get that stuff right. Um, So yeah, the future of games at Bungie, I'm not sure about. I can't say. But I mean, past things have shown us that these sorts of deals with developers where they get a, a, I mean, with Bethesda especially, like you've mentioned, right? All the next Bethesda games are just highlighted for Xbox and and PC. And that, that's kind of worrying, you know, because I don't want to have to have every console to play the games I want to play. I mean, this has been a complaint for many years now, I know. Um, but yeah, these sorts of exclusivity things. Like I, I kind of side with Robin that I don't want sony or microsoft to acquire ea or ubisoft um that will give them way too much control um and you've got to start wondering when quality starts to become a uh an afterthought oh, with the sort of- i mean that's that that's uh that boat has not only sailed it's gotten it's circumnavigated the world and has come back to port i mean just this week they released uh the new fifa game for nintendo switch that's literally the same game the, the Nintendo Switch version of FIFA has been the same game for, I think, four years. And I'm not joking. This. It's literally the same game. They just changed the new, to the new team uniforms, and they charge you $60 for that. And again, it may sound like I'm being hype, uh, hyperbolic here. You can check out the reviews. I couldn't be asked to review it myself. It's the same game. It's literally the same game. So if you're saying that, oh, if EA... You know, gets bought by whoever they're going to go down in quality. They're already at the bottom of the barrel in terms of quality. So, I, I, again, not to, um, not to discredit what you're saying, kind of shut you down there. It's just that yeah. quality can't go any lower. What are they going to do? That yeah. they just they'll sell you a box with no game in it. <laughs> yeah, they'll sell you a collection. I do, I do think of the two though that Ubisoft is at least from an IP perspective is probably the more alluring. Mm-hmm. I think. EA has too many issues with some of its titles. You just don't want to get kind of mired in all of that. I understand that uh, there are probably larger company culture issues at Ubisoft, um, but hopefully that can just be handled by uh, some high-profile exits, and then you can get the quote unquote the right people in. Um, but yeah, I think from an IP perspective, Ubisoft is probably the more interesting. I can just imagine, say. A Assassin's Creed, a kind of open world game. If we're talking about live services, that would be really alluring to me. Or something, something with I know that uh, Beyond Good and Evil Two has been <laughs> has been in development yeah. for who knows how long now. But something I get if there was, if they were really kind of considering live services and stuff like that. Um, so I would I would veer towards the Ubisoft side. There's been rumbles of a live service Assassin's Creed for a few years now. Um. It should be announced yeah, soon. Assassin's Creed Infinite, isn't it, or something? Has has that been like soft announced? I'm so yeah, yeah. confused. Been, it has been. It has been soft announced. Because it's again, like I said, it's been one of those things that has been on the radar for so many years. So I'm well, not I'm, entirely sure. What I might the, be uh... thinking of um, what's the the division one? There's a division open. Oh yeah. Yeah, so yeah, just this yeah, is no, just to Assassin's prove Robin's Infinity. point here. Yeah. Yeah, no, Assassin's Creed Infinity is they they have announced it. It's it is a real game that they're working on. Yeah, what's the what's that saying? You'll own nothing and you'll be happy. There's not going to be any more real games. Everything will have to be paid for monthly or with a battle pass or whatever. But you can download it for free, guys. And there's a really there's a really enticing you know um, beginner player 
bundle that you can get. It's just nine ninety five. So yeah, like Robin says, everything's going to become live service. It's ninety nine dollars, dude. When it when you go that model, it's like everything. The cheapest entry price is ninety nine dollars. Remember? Yeah, I love Diablo yeah. Immortal. Yeah, what? That doesn't exist. I like that it's still called microtransactions, even though the the micro part doesn't make any sense anymore because it costs more than a real game. Yeah. Okay. Very pessimistic we've gotten. But <laughs> So, um, in the EA reports, there was, oh, in the EA rumors, there are a number of companies that were highlighted. And I kind of want to theory craft here about mm. who could purchase who so some of the the big names that were mentioned were disney apple amazon and comcast nbc um as potentially acquiring ea now i want to look at those companies in the context of both of these firms because to my mind um there's one company that stands out in particular there and that is amazon so amazon has its own game studio which sucks i think is the the polite way of putting it um, they've had several. Well, they've had a failed release of a battle or a battle a MOBA, uh, which was terrible. I can't even remember the name of it, um, but I? it was terrible. Sorry, neither can I. I have no idea what yeah. you're talking about. <laughs> it, it, was, it was it was released in an alpha, and then it was pulled, and then they just never released it again. I think the biggest title that came out of Amazon Game Studios was New World, the MMO. Um, which was really popular at launch. Uh, I played it. I enjoyed it. It was a really great MMO experience, um, but I haven't played it in six months. Yeah, no one has talked about that for a while, yeah, which is hilarious because it was it was the biggest game in the world for a long time yeah. after. And it, it had like that beta that was very popular. It came out as very popular, and now I haven't heard anything about it, and I just remembered it existed because you mentioned it. So Amazon really wants to get into the... Um, into the gaming space but i feel like they have failed to launch because it's not a place that they play in um and that's not that's not a slight against amazon like amazon does a lot amazon has its retail arm it has its uh, business infrastructure arm uh, it has the streaming arm like there are so many aspects to amazon gaming is something that is kind of feels like an afterthought for it but i think if it were to acquire somebody like ea although i don't think that it acquire EL talk about that in a second um I think that they would be primed to acquire Ubisoft uh because it's the the release cascade of Ubisoft games is slow enough to kind of allow for Amazon to bring them in create IPs and have Ubisoft's teams their multiple worldwide teams working on games at a time um and then you can release these in a really slow sort of cadence uh, where there's not this huge, huge expectation from fans like, where's the next Assassin's Creed? Where's the next uh, The Division? Because I think for the most part, Ubisoft fans are a little bit more um, patient, if, if that's the right word, uh, when it comes to to these sorts of things. They don't like. I enjoy Ubisoft games, and I don't mind waiting two years for another Assassin's Creed game if it's going to be good. Um, so I think that Amazon might be a good home for Ubisoft. As for EA. Um, Disney, because yeah, EA already makes so much licensed games, um, especially like Star Wars and stuff like that. Like, yeah, it would just, I think that they it, would, it would be the perfect home for them. Disney is very weird because it feels like it dominates every landscape of media, with the exception of games. Yeah. Games has been such a hard thing for it to crack. I mean. During the, the rise of the MCU, we barely got any Marvel games at all. 
and it it seems so strange looking back that the first 10 years of the MCU, which was arguably the most profitable and the most culturally important, we got no games. Uh, well, there might I think there was like an Iron Man 1 and 2 game, but there's been nothing that people remember or that people really like. And it seemed like such a missed opportunity. And then there's... Um, uh, now even now there's nothing we had like we, had, we have these strange things like disney's infinity and then marvel's avengers and all these weird disparate things there's no singular goal for the gaming division and then star wars it was uh, it was exclusive to ea but then ea still has some kind of exclusivity but now other studios are making star wars games and now People who made Detroit become human are making a Star Wars game. It's all very weird and disparate, and it's it's the complete opposite from the singular vision that they had for the MCU. Mm. It's just kind of loosey goosey when it comes to Disney games, not just for Marvel, but Disney games in total. So I could see them buying a huge studio and then saying to that studio, "Listen, we bought you for all those games, but uh, now you're going to make Disney stuff exclusively." And then there's Kingdom Hearts, which is a whole rabbit hole. So yeah, I, I 100% agree with you, Brendan. I think when these companies are buying each other, they are maybe not looking at specific properties, but they're buying them for the workforce and like an all-in-one solution. You guys are a company that makes games. We need games made, so we're just going to buy you. I don't know. If Disney purchased a, a big publisher that is kind of embattled, I would get really worried, and that's only because of my recent experience with Disney Plus. Oh yeah. Um, the local launch has been horrendous, at least from a a user experience uh, perspective goes. Yeah. And I would much rather like to see someone go with AW with Amazon because they have an AWS, and you kind of have an established infrastructure as far as live services go. I know I'm like the championing live services for some reason on this podcast, but. Um, <laughs> For me, if I, if I think about Disney acquiring someone, that leaves a really bad taste in my mouth. And we have to remember, they own a lot of IP. That when we talk about exclusivity, they're going to shut down a lot of, I guess, future projects for for a lot of uh, studios. Look, I, I I would not, in an ideal world, I would not want um, Andrew Wilson and and Disney to be working together because I feel like that's just waiting. That's just asking for the dar- darkest timeline to appear. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't want it, but it's, it's a. It's, it's literally a, the emperor and Darth Vader working yeah, together. Absolutely, <laughs> right. It's like the the two worst of the worst are coming together and making something. Like, okay, all right. I thought the FIFA thing was bad for EA, but that would be the worst timeline. I think so, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, this week EA patented some kind of a system where they show you adverts in games. Let, let me look that up quickly. So it's like. It's, it's like they can't stop. I don't understand who's making these decisions. We can sell uh, 80% of a user's eye space <laughs> before inducing seizures. Um, there is a, c- a company that we haven't mentioned at all, though, and that's Apple. Now, Apple doesn't, like, they play in the game space. I know they have, like, Apple Arcade. Um, but those are very, like, low-budget mobile games, I guess you can call them. Low-budget, I say. Let me not get the mobile gaming space on my on my back. They They generally, like, free-to-play games and generally like they're mobile games if you know what i mean um and i don't know if apple would purchase a a studio like ea or ubisoft because what are they going to do with it put those games on the macbook i think um i think apple's one of those companies where if they do buy 
a company had slowly absorbed into just the Apple mass. It's not like Disney where, yes, it's Disney, but we still have, you know, National Geographic. That's like its own brand store. And you still have like um, Fox News. People forget that Disney owns Fox, which is absolutely insane to think about. I think um, if Apple, Apple might try to build something in-house, I think. Um, so I, I think for them, the prospect of buying a big company isn't as alluring or mm. as just like buying talent and then creating an in-house solution, I think. Good. That's a good point, actually. Yeah, I think with Apple, it's all about control. Uh, can you kind of see the play out with the whole silicon uh, part of the business? Yeah. yeah. That they love the fact that they can do everything in-house now. And What if... What if the M1 platform becomes like not a console, but it becomes like a, an ecosystem? Like they say, oh, this game's coming out on PlayStation, Xbox, Switch, and M1 platforms. It'll be Apple console or console OS or something like what? that. They made a, a console once. What was it called? Um, the next. The, the no, 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 no. Jobs worked on. No, it was the. Oh my God. What was it? It was an old thing. It got released. Wasn't it called the Pippin or something? It had a weird name. Uh, yes, it was called the Pippin. That's what it was called, the Apple Pippin. Do you guys even know that exists? Never have nope. heard of it in my life. <laughs> Google it, it looks so dumpy, it's hilarious. The Apple Pippin, P-I-P-P-I-N. That was a console at one point. So I don't know if they would... feel like a Steve Jobs name? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if they would do like a console, but I think maybe they'll say, you know, this game is coming to M1 platforms, and that means like any... Apple product that has an M1 processor. I, I think that's what they would do. Yeah, well, Apple does. They are the kings of marketing. Um, mm. they, they can spin anything to. I mean, they recreated LCD displays. You know, with what liquid retina display. Yeah. it's an LCD display. All right. Well, <laughs> you say that talking about the M1. Okay. I was, yeah, I was. I was quite the naysayer when they said they were going to make the M1, and I was like, first of all. I don't think you'll be able to do it. But second of all, why are you like wasting your time when there's already Apple and, uh, uh, sorry, Intel and I AMD? Well, yeah. Freudian slip there. Um, so I, I was an naysayer and for most accounts, the M1 and now... M2. It, oh, I thought it was called like the M1 version 2. Mm. Um, those have been massive successes, both yeah. for Apple and the consumer because they have a lot of power for um, the, you know, the energy draw and for what they cost. So... Yeah, you saying yeah, they do reinvent stuff by just like saying, "Oh, Apple has done it," even though Android has been doing it for years. But I think this CPU uh, that they did has kind of proved me wrong, and I kind of give them more leeway if they come out and they say we want to make more stuff. Look, I mean, I, I as much as I dislike Apple for its marketing practices and the way that it does its marketing, um, I respect them as a company because they do make good products, like. I've used iPhones. I've like AirPods are the best wireless earphones that money can buy. It's a pity that they cost a lot of that money, but they are very good. Like I think you guys make good points that when Apple does something and they do it in house, they do it properly. And that's kind of why I don't see them buying a, a company like EA or uh, Ubisoft. Um, but yeah, just just an interesting thought to throw out there. Um, just before we wrap up, though, we just want to run through, uh, Clinton mentioned it right at the, the top, um, but some smaller publishers that could be hoovered up by uh, by bigger guys. Um, and there's one here that kind of jumped out at me immediately, and that's Warner Bros. Interactive uh, Entertainment. Um, now, I mean, they, they make some decent games, right? 
Um, I, what was the last thing that they released, though? Oh, I mean, they're working on Gotham Knights, which looks like a train wreck already, and uh-huh. it's coming out in October. Um, let me look it up while, I, while we talk. Uh, we will link. There's a Wikipedia page that has major publishers, um, yeah. and then they also have mid-sized publishers. And also what's interesting here is I always forget Valve and Epic Games are both private companies. Oh, they are yeah. not on the stock market. That's very interesting. I don't know how that fact is in to our whole conversation here it's just interesting i was like where is valve on this thing oh i forgot they are public uh, privately owned and yeah. so is epic games um sorry I, i'm looking that I mean, up what we, warner uh, brothers done I, I, I would maybe valve could purchase ea you know put, yeah i think put the ea teams on to work on valve titles i mean that's, that's I, highly unlikely but anyway yeah i think valve has gone past software development um for games i think they're still I think they are hyper-focused on software development of the Steam platform mm-hmm. and the, like, Linux forks and then hardware for, like, the Steam Deck and other stuff yeah. like that. I don't think they are going to do that. Oh, so the big one here for um, Warner Brothers is they are partnered with everything Harry Potter. So they're working oh. on a few Harry Potter projects. Um, so that's probably the biggest stuff coming up. And then also Warner Brothers is DC. I think yeah. they outright own they outright own DC like in its entirety. So all the DC stuff is going to come from them. So that stuff could be oh they got multiverses that new Smash Brothers knockoff, yeah, um, okay. which people seem to like. So I mean they're doing stuff. They also have the Lord of the Rings license. They're, they're making that Smeagol game, which oh, I can't yeah. believe is a game. <laughs> that game you always like as soon as a trailer finishes for that game, you just forget it ex- it exists. Um, the last thing I want to mention, and we should probably wrap up, is Devolver, which last year became a public company. Yeah. Um, it's it's that is a very interesting case because it's such like a small company with like small company DNA and the way it behaves itself, but it's slowly becoming kind of a juggernaut mm. in the um in the industry. I wonder if it's ever going to reach the peaks of like EA and Ubisoft and Sony and Nintendo. I mean, it could happen. I mean, a few years ago they were having you know their E3 conference in a parking lot, and now they're a publicly traded company. So. Anything can happen. It will be it'll be interesting. I don't think they are the type of company who would allow themselves to be bought. Well, now that they're public, they can get like a hostile takeover. So I wouldn't say that. But I don't think I think they're one of those companies that are just gonna keep going as they're going for as long as possible. But I wonder if their kind of MO and the way they operate themselves will lead them to becoming a big company. And I wonder if they will ever buy any smaller companies. I mean, I think that's that's an interesting question. But I mean, like you say, right? They have that smaller business that they have, like, a, what's the word? A, I think it's best described as a punk rock attitude, right? Yeah. That's they're going to go against the grain. They're going to highlight the games that you might not miss or that you might miss at the big conferences and champion the little guy. Um, like, I think that they will continue to do that. But I mean, as a company gets bigger, I mean, it's kind of natural for you to have bigger aspirations. You want to expand, right? You want to branch into different genres, branch into different platforms. Um, But I think it's all about company culture at the end of the day, uh, as we're seeing uh, with places like Activision Blizzard and Ubisoft, like these 
companies all started as small firms, small little developers. And then they grew and their company culture shifted or didn't shift with the times and things became untenable. So it's interesting to see how this is going. Um, I think what I want to wrap up on is the question of, are we in 10 years time going to be buying games from two companies that have just a wealth of studios underneath them? Robin, what do you think? Um, The sad reality is probably will um if we are looking at kind of triple a stuff yeah we are likely going to be going to two or maybe three vendors as our only options and uh, i can just tell it's going to be a mess because the ips are so knotted and to try and untangle it uh to ensure that you're getting the full experience uh, it's going to be a mess clinton yeah, like I said right at the beginning of this, um, all companies becoming one and companies controlling the world are gonna—they're gonna happen. It's not a matter of when. Uh, sorry, it's not a matter of if. It is a matter of when. It's gonna happen eventually, and there's nothing you and I can do about it. <laughs> yeah, hopefully lawmakers uh, start to take this space a little bit more seriously. Are you guys ready to live in a company town and to be paid in script? Because that's where we're going. Amazon is doing it. They—I mean that. People forget that that episode on South Park was 100% stuff about a company town. They played a protest song called 16 Tons, which is about living in a, in a, a company town. And again, I don't want to get every time we talk about this stuff, I feel like I'm always all doom and gloom. But I mean, that's what's happening. No one's stopping these companies. And uh, yeah, that's the future. Yeah. Um, maybe in 10 years time, games won't even exist as we know them today. It'll just be a Netflix service where there's one or two things that people are really excited about. And then the rest of the time we just don't care. Um, but yeah, uh, all of this is of course speculation. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, I half expect though that in the next two weeks or as we publish this podcast, EA or Ubisoft announces something or somebody like Square Enix or Cap, who knows? Um, but yeah, the future of gaming is very interesting and yeah, it's very, I'm very worried that we eventually only have two brands, uh, that are responsible for games and that's not good for good games. Uh, but that's going to wrap it up from us for this week. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, from myself, Brendan Lachirio, from Chris Matos. Everybody. And from Robin Lichetti. Praise be to our gaming overlooks. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Yes. The number you have dialed is not in service at this time.